0: You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now, here's Pastor Dan. We're in the middle of a, uh, a series here that uh, Sean started a few weeks ago on 1 Corinthians uh, called Undivided. The idea is that Corinthian, the Corinthian church was total mess and splintered into factions, all kinds of crazy things happening, and, and Paul's addressing a lot of issues. And some of those issues uh, are timeless, right? They're things that can happen anywhere, anytime to any church, and we're trying to learn from that so that we don't follow in their their bad footsteps, following some good footsteps. So we're in chapter four today, and uh, the the idea is um, in chapter four, he's still continuing with his logic. You know, the Bible's uh, books, the chapters weren't written that way. Uh, That was people later decided to divide it up just for convenience of thinking. Um, So we're gonna see a lot of themes that have, have started in chapter one, carried through for actually the whole book, some of them, but in here, we're gonna see some repeats um, just to, you know, drive the points home. So this chapter starts off by addressing um, the role of apostles, the leaders of, of the, the Christian movement and of the church, and their position and things like that. But that, that, I don't want to focus on that so much today, because in, in verse 16, Paul talks about how um, he would like the Corinthians to imitate him. And in other other places in the Bible, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. So while Paul is really addressing much of the corinthians treatment of of the apostles and and their leaders Um, i want us to hear this from the perspective of us following along with those guys and being like them Um, because i think we'll get more out of it for ourselves than just looking at those guys and saying hey what about them so that's going to be my perspective today Um, certainly it's not uh, wrong to look at this in terms of how the the corinthians treated the apostles but that's not going to be my focus So if you'll open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 4, if you haven't done so already, um, we're going to start in verse 1, just going to read a couple of verses at a time, kind of go through some different ideas. Um, uh, It'll be on the screen here, too, if you don't have your Bible with you. So I'm just going to read verse 1 to start off and talk about, you know, where he's coming from and his uh, just starting point for this, this chapter. It says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 4, this is how one should regard us servants of Christ and stewards stewards of the mysteries of God. So that's his introduction to them and this, this particular idea. Um, so those couple words there, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The word servant there is the same word that was used for galley slaves, and not just galley slaves. You guys know the guys that rowed the galleys and all that, uh, the, the boats that were slaves? But uh, the, the under rowers was the, really the bottom of the ship, never getting out of there alive kind of thing. Um, And if you're not aware of that situation, how that really was in those times, I've got a clip from the movie Ben-Hur, the old version with Charlton Heston, that this has stuck with me ever since I saw this movie is how brutal this was um, and how hopeless those people were. So I I just want you to watch this to understand where Paul's referring to himself so we can go forward from there if you'd watch that clip. What service have you seen? 41. A month's blessed day in this ship you keep an exact account and before three years in other ships three years (coughs) you have the spirit to fight back but the good sense to control it your eyes are full of hate 41 that's good Hate keeps a man alive. It gives him strength. Now listen to me, all of you. You are all condemned men. We keep you alive to serve this ship. So row well and live. We keep you alive to serve this ship. So row well and live. That doesn't get any worse than that, man, that's tough. I gotta admit, I've said this to my kids. Um, I, I first caught that in college and it just like stuck in my brain how, how that was and it wasn't, it's not an anger, I say it to them regularly, actually. Um, you know, when they're being particularly goofy or messing around and when I tell them that and we all laugh and it's not for real, really, but... Um, the, you know, think about that. We keep you alive to serve the ship real well and live. You know, that, that's all you got. And that's the term Paul uses to uh, reference himself to Christ. Now, aren't we glad God doesn't treat us like that? That's a huge relief to know that God doesn't treat us like that. He doesn't keep us alive to serve the ship. He keeps us alive at his pleasure. Everything we have, we owe to him. But boy, he loves us and he's taking care of us. None of that happens. But Paul's putting himself in that position. That's how low he considers himself. He's completely sold out. Um, given over to Jesus for everything. And, you know, he, he understands that God keeps him alive and he's going to serve that ship. That's the idea. So that's where Paul's putting himself. And then he talks about being stewards of the mysteries of God. So I don't think we can probably put ourselves quite in the position of apostle here. You know, I I said, we want to imitate and follow, follow Paul In, in this sense. We don't have the same grasp of the mysteries of God that he did. They were being revealed to him. and He wrote the stuff down. But we certainly can look at the, the Word of God as the mysteries of God, and we're stewards of that. And the idea of a steward, if you're not aware of that, that's a, a more medieval term. You know, it, it's, a, it's an idea of someone who took care of things for the king and, and made sure his stuff was managed well. So that's, that's Paul's perspective on himself, is he's a slave to God, slave to Christ. He calls, him that, calls himself that. Many of the epistles he wrote, um, so he's, he's totally God's possession, he understands that. And then he's also got the job of taking care of the things of God and doing what God wants him to with those things. So that's, that's where Paul's starting himself. And the idea there is he knows who owns him, he knows his ownership. And that's the first point I wanna to make today is when we know who owns us, that puts a different perspective on life, right? When we try to take possession of our own way in life, we're going the wrong way. We're gonna end up in trouble. When we understand that God owns us and that we lay that at his feet, we're at a much better place. And that's where Paul's starting off his discussion today is, hey, listen, I'm an apostle, right? And, and he does kind of play that card a little bit in this chapter. Lots of times he downplays that stuff and tries to make himself, um, you know, he calls himself the chief of sinners at, at one point. But here, since the Corinthians are so wacky, he, he's kind of saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, I am an apostle. And nonetheless, here I am. I'm a servant. I'm God's servant, and I'm just taking care of his stuff. I'm not the king, right? I'm, I'm the guy taking care of stuff. So when we start off understanding that about ourselves, we're gonna be in a better place to, to serve him the right way. Um, to, to not recognize who owns you is to put a block between you and moving forward in the, in the path that you need to take. So that, that's the first point I wanna make about Paul's idea here. It's the first verse, and it's pretty cut and dry. Slave and steward owns me. Not my stuff, God's stuff. The next step in the line here, the next few verses, uh, starting in chapter 2, would reveal, because of that ownership, what Paul sees as his obligation to do, okay? So that's the next idea. He knows who owns him, and now it's my obligation because of that. So I'm going to read verses 2 through 5 for you. It says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So there's a couple ideas here in terms of, you know, because we're owned by God, what's the next step then? What's the the follow-up to that? What's the the obligation we have um, because he, he's our, our master and our king. Well, the first one, of course, just follows up on the idea of being stewards of the mystery of God, mysteries of God. Uh, stewards must be found faithful, it says in verse two. I, that almost explains itself, I think, the idea of being faithful to the, the, the idea of a steward, if you understand that, that you're minding your master's things. You gotta be faithful at that or you're not doing your job. Uh, that's pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, and of course, none of us are perfect, perfect at that. And I just, it brings me relief to, to, to see the verse. I've forgotten where it is now, but um, you know, while we are faithless, he is faithful. Even when we mess up, he's still there to, to pick us up, pick up the pieces and help us move forward from that. But it is our job. It's our duty to be faithful to him, to uh, mind the things he's given us. And you know, what are those things? That, that's gonna be the, the topic of much of the rest of what I talk about. But the first thing we see back in verse one, is we're stewards of the mysteries of god and the mysteries of god essentially are what god's revealed about himself to us and that would be his word for us today right for us today that's god's word he's revealed those things about himself that he wants us to know and with that when we understand first of all our relationship with him that we're, we're lost and need him to fix us our salvation relationship Once we understand that and we become um, his his slaves and and then therefore his stewards as well, um, our obligation is to mind the word of God and use it the way he wants us to. And that takes many forms, right? That takes the form of sharing with others what God has said so that they know that they also need to understand their relationship with him. It takes the form of you listening to him about the way your life is supposed to be led the, the things you're supposed to uh, love, the things you're supposed to walk away from. Um, it, 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 it contains ways we're supposed to relate with each other, the way you treat each other, um, the way you uh, worship him, stuff like that. There's all kinds of things in the scripture that are mysteries, you know, because we wouldn't know without him telling us. That's the idea there. A mystery is just something that you wouldn't know and God's revealed it to us. So as stewards of those things, we need to be faithful to them. We need to hear the word. We need to take it in, and we need to live it. That, that's the faithfulness he's looking for. So that's Paul's obligation he sees. Uh, because it's, because I'm a steward, it's required of me to be faithful to those things. So if you look at Paul's life, pretty good example to follow, right? He was very mindful of sharing the Word of God with people. You know, Went, went all around the world doing that, put himself in all kinds of dangers. We'll see some of the things later in this chapter, the things that he went through. Um, he he Planted churches, he raised up leaders. He lived a life that was, um, you know, honest before everybody and open, and, and uh, you know, was essentially blameless. None of us really are, but you know, he didn't. He couldn't be held to account for anything that was, uh, you know, a violation of laws. In fact, all of his imprisonments were trumped up charges and, and things that, you know, if you read the, the Book of Acts like a, like a historical document. You know, it's the farce that Paul was ever put in jail. He was put in jail to protect him from the crowds trying to kill him because he was speaking the words of God. You know, they called it that he was inciting riots and stuff, but that, that's all they did was, was uh, you know, try to get the, put the problem in jail is, is what they did. So, you know, Paul's life was faithful, and he calls us to imitate him in that. Now, I haven't been around the world sharing the gospel. I'll admit that. Um, I haven't been in danger doing it. Um, so, you know, how far we follow him is going to be you know, individually led but the the idea of being faithful to the mysteries of god we can do that we can be faithful to what god's told us to do so so we're called to that, that that's the first obligation from from what paul's seeing himself the next piece i'm looking at is the concept of you know what paul said i'm not concerned with other people think of me he, he says but with me it's a very small thing that i should be judged by you or by any human court right for most of us that's probably relatively obvious that uh, other people's opinions shouldn't drive us we may find it hard to live by, but it's kind of one of those things that mom told you when you went to school, you know, don't worry about those other kids. If they're laughing at you, they're not your friends anyway, whatever kind of stuff. You know, it's kind of a thing that we understand that we shouldn't let other people's opinions drive us, but sometimes it's hard for us to pull off in real life. Okay, so Paul's encouraging us, hey, it's not really that big of a deal because they can't judge you. You know, it, it's, it, as we see later in this verse, it's God that judges us. So hopefully we can, we can take a stand on the things that are the mysteries of God, be faithful to them, and not worry about those critical comments that come from others. You know, whether you can do that or not, that's gonna be your own battle, right? But, uh, you know, that's what he's calling us to do. And again, I don't feel the need to belabor that too much, because it, it is kinda, you know what, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, and other people are going to have their opinions, kind of thing. But you may struggle with that, and uh, you just got to ask the Lord to help you with it because it is hard. It's a hard internal thing to fight, it's a hard battle to fight. The one that jumps out at me, though, is he says, I don't even judge myself. Paul didn't even trust his own judgment about himself. Now, that's not so obvious. Most of us would look at ourselves and kind of know what's going on in our brain and feel like we're. Either on the right track or even recognize we're wrong, right? We might make we might understand ourselves enough to know when we're messed up, but what Paul's telling us is that's not so obvious, right? That what you think isn't always reality. In fact, a funny story I have I most of you guys know I'm a teacher, um, and I've been doing it going back to school this year will be my 25th year. But when I started, I couldn't get a job right away, I had to substitute for a year. And movies are very exaggerated, very trumped up. It's not real, but there's some real stuff in movies that you see about substitute teachers. And funny story, I was reminded of as I was dealing with this. I, was, I subbed for one lady for two or three weeks at a time. She was out for surgery or something. So I got to know all those kids really well. And then I was in other classrooms after that. So maybe a week, two weeks after I was in that stint with that, that group of kids for the same as high school. I was in the same class with those kids for, for two or three weeks. Um, I was in another classroom and again, I was at Albany High School, okay, so you kind of can imagine how that's like. Um, A game they would play with substitutes is they would see the sub and then just come in the room and you know, if there's 30 kids in the class, all of a sudden there's 32 kids, what's going on here? They don't all belong. Or they would wait and you'd call roll, you know, Jimmy Smith, here, John Doe, here, Sally Jones, here. Uh, John Jackson, John Jackson, John Jackson. Oh, that's me. You know, they're waiting for someone to be absent, and then they, they say, that's me. They get poor Johnny in trouble. You know, you kick him out, write him up, and Johnny wasn't even there that day, that kind of thing. I caught on to that pretty quick. I realized what was going on. But uh, so anyway, I was in this class for two or three weeks, knew those kids. About a week later, I was in a class, and one of those kids came in there tried to play that game. Raheem Morris, I still remember his name, cracks me up. Cracks me up, this kid. So call and roll, and I don't know, John Smith wasn't there, and Raheem's hand goes up. That's me. like, Rakeem, you're not John Smith. How are you going to tell me who I am? (laughs) How am I going to tell him what his name is, right? How am I going to know his own judgment? That's what what made me think of this. And I I won't finish the story because I'd probably go to jail for it now. But um, if you you ask me later, I'll tell you. I'm just not going to do it on camera. Um, It just, this kid cracked me up. But he was challenging me. What he was challenging me was with how are you going to tell me my own mind? How are you going to tell me who I am? How are you going to tell me what I know? And that's what paul's saying here he doesn't even question he doesn't even judge himself by what he knows and that is not an obvious thing to do that is very unnatural to do that Um, so what you have to what it really leads you to is really really getting down to the bottom of the the problem here is that we have to surrender everything to god if he's going to own us and we're going to have an obligation to him everything's got to go to him including our own judgment which is scary that's not normal to, to like not judge for yourself what's right and wrong, that, that's weird. Okay. And not even, and I'm not talking about murder right and wrong. I'm talking about the way you live your life right and wrong. Um, so the, you not trust in our own judgment. What it really comes down to is if we're going to surrender to God, we have to have this kind of thought process happening. And I'm going to use like the personal pronoun for myself, but it's really for all of us. It's just easier to say it to you. And you know, if I really know who owns my life, it's going to lead me to understand that I got obligations, right? That's kind of the the step I was following here, because my owner has some authority over me. He has he has the right to kind of lay things out for me. And then when I understand those obligations, that's going to define how I interact with that authority with, with God. And then the next step, and this is one of the hard ones I need to understand. We need to understand those those obligations. They're not negotiable. We don't get to set the terms on those. See, when you own stuff, Think about things that you, excuse me, you own. It, it, I mean, it's hard because they're inanimate, but you know, your, your stuff that you own doesn't get to tell you how to use it unless it breaks, right? You don't get to use your car if it's broken, I guess, but that'll, that, that'll show you. But um, the idea is the owner sets the terms, right? In real life, when you do things where you make contracts with people, like borrowing money, for example, that'd be a good example of that, where the people holding the money set the terms. You don't get to set those terms. You might negotiate with them, but at the end of the day, you have the contract. It's not negotiable anymore, really. It shouldn't be anyway. So we have those, we have those obligations, and they're not negotiable. God sets the rules, and that first obligation has to do with our hearts right here. When we um, don't clarify that relationship, and we don't understand he's in charge, and we don't get to tell him what to do, we're going down the wrong path. You know, think about it this way. If, if my heart tells me I'm not guilty of anything, that doesn't prove I'm free of guilt. It just proves that I'm not paying attention, right? That's all it tells me. And that what I really need to understand is that when my heart's telling me I'm not guilty of anything, I got to let the Lord examine that. It's the Lord who's going to look into my heart and tell me what's right and wrong about it. Now, many times we're going to be on the right track. It's not like we're going to be blind and deaf to these things, but all of us do have weaknesses and blind spots that we're probably not noticing and we need to let the lord look into that so that absolute surrender that we give that we have to god when we understand that we can't even tell in our hearts because our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all things right that we got to let god reveal that to us and when we do that it's gonna move us to a place where we stop making excuses for things that are not right in our lives right it's easy to convince ourselves that we're right easy we all are experts at it actually you know that that's not many people can claim expertise at something. We can all claim expertise at convincing ourselves that we're doing okay. Right? That, that is something that's absolutely inherent in the human nature. So when we, when we make those excuses, we're just lying to ourselves, and we're not living honestly, and then this all gets botched up. Right? So the idea would be that with that understanding of our ownership and the obligations that come with it, we say, yeah, I'm surrendering to God, and he's going to help me see what's right or wrong. And that obligation that we have uh, of not leaning on our understanding, the understanding that we're going to have is going to come from God's word. We can't just make it up, okay? The, the obligation is to not judge myself because I don't know everything, but God does, right? My obligation is to trust God and what he's going to show me about my life and then let that be my judge and in essence allow him to direct my path with, with what his word says. You know, I, this happens to me unfortunately way too much things go this way right I think I know what I'm doing and I think I got it figured out and that didn't quite work out the way I thought it was gonna okay so I I would imagine most of you have experienced that before so that's one end of things I think I got it handled and it's not the other end would be man things are falling apart this ain't working any way the thought way I thought it would and oh look at how that worked out look what God just did you know, so when we start to get our own understanding in the middle of things and relying on it, there's like two paths you can go there. You can think you got to handle and it falls apart. Or you can think everything's a mess and all of a sudden it works out. And both of those are evidences that we don't know what we're talking about. We have no clue and we need to let God manage things a lot more than we do. Um, so how do you do that? That's tough, right? The, the Bible has a lot of wisdom in it, has a lot of things that we can use to guide ourselves. But you know, it doesn't have a specific detailed plan for every single day of your life, and that's harder to manage, right? You gotta have some principles, some things to think about. And honestly, I don't have an answer for you on that. How do you go find everything in your life to do? There's not, there's not an answer in the Bible for that other than follow Jesus, right? In fact, what I would point you to is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, very, very familiar verse. Actually, I'm gonna read farther than that. I'm gonna read all the way to verse 8, because I, most people who've been around the Bible a while, have heard verses five and six, maybe, maybe, maybe even have memorized them at some point, I don't know. But uh, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That's very familiar to a lot of us. I think we're dropping the ball if we don't continue on a little bit. Now, verse seven, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones, Right. It's a very logical thought, when you understand the ownership of your life and your obligation to follow him, that we would trust the Lord, not lean on our own understanding, acknowledge him and he'll make straight sure our paths. That's pretty logical. It's hard to do, but it's pretty logical. But the reality is we buck up against that and we wanna still understand, and then we're wise in our own eyes. And that's what this, this next follow-up is about. Be not wise in your own eyes, right? Trust the Lord, okay. Lean not on your own understanding, okay. Always, okay, but you know, I still know some stuff. Do not be wise in your own eyes, right? Your, your heart will deceive you. Yes, we can know stuff. Yes, we can verify in the Bible, that's all good, right? But at the end of the day, it's gotta come from the Bible and it's gotta be God's decisions, the way we understand them, to lead us all the way. And if you do that, it'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones, okay? And some of that is figurative in that sense, but the idea here is that when we trust the Lord, don't rely on ourselves. He's going to help us out. He's going to make things work out. And that is one of the hardest things to do when things are tough. It's very challenging to do that. Um, but that's what we're called to do. That's part of that faithfulness, right? When we're um, the stewards of God's mysteries, these things that are hard to understand, we've got to be faithful to it. When things are wacky, we don't understand, or we want to jump out on our own understanding, and we, someone either brings us to mind or we, the Spirit brings it to our mind, one of the two, you've got to give up on your own understanding and trust the Lord. Things may seem to be going left. Everybody's going left. But you know what? God wants me to go right. You've got to follow that. And that's, the, that, that's the, the concept there of our obligations to him. So we've got to be faithful, and we've got to rely on his judgment, not our own. If we rely on our own judgment, we're looking for trouble. And Proverbs says those who look for trouble will find it. So I would recommend from that that you follow the Lord. So where Paul's logic goes next is he understands who owns him, and then he's got an obligation to follow him faithfully. And the next thing he sees is some opportunities. So that's, that's the next couple of verses. He says in verse six, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn, to, uh, learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different than you? Why do you have what you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Okay, so Paul's looking at this train of thought and saying, this is our opportunity now that we understand who owns us and we are ob- obligated to follow him. Hey, what does that let us do? Okay, so I think what Paul's saying here when he's talking to these people, applying these to myself and Apollos for your benefit. And that's what I'm trying to do right now. He's saying, this is how we, your leaders deal with it. I want you to see it so you can do the same thing. And that, that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to get you to see today too, is Paul and all the apostles, although they have these these specialness about them, they were guys that were following Jesus and that's what they want us to do too. Um, so when Paul said, Paul's saying here, all right, listen, we understand the ownership of our lives and what we've done with that is we get to now go serve. And we're serving you actually, by the way, is what he's saying, right? That we're helping you guys out. And it's, to simplify this a little bit, he's, this is, I'm gonna kind of put Paul's words in Paul's mouth a little bit. He's saying, my personal service is a reflection of the authority that's got a hold of my life. Since God is my owner and I'm obliged to follow him, and I'm being faithful, these are the things that are gonna happen in my life. I'm gonna follow him that way. And it brings us to a place where we can, that's an opportunity for service, right? When we we're owned by God and we're gonna follow him, he's gonna put us in play. He's gonna help us to know how and where and why we can serve people. And that's the path we wanna take. And, and, and what he's saying to these guys is that if I understand my ownership and my authority, then the results are gonna follow. So here here's here's the either way it goes, right? If that and again, I'm trying to I'll use first person noun, or first person nouns again. If I, right, if I do this, and if that authority is in me, then my service, all the things that I do for God are gonna reflect my strengths, my wisdom, and myself. Right? So if I'm if I'm thinking that I got it handled, everything I do is gonna come from me, and that not, that's not what God wants, and it's also probably not gonna work very well, to be quite honest, right, that most of us aren't gonna be, you know, that expertise we have at making ourselves think we're right, we don't have a lot of expertise in other places, okay? So if we, if we don't understand where our authority comes from, or who's our authority in our lives, then the things we do are gonna be based on ourselves and are gonna fall apart. Sean uh, read last week the, the two types of works, the ones that were made out of wood, hay, and stubble, and gold, silver and precious metals, right? Those two things. When we build on our own strength, we're building out of wood, hay and stubble and it's going to burn up in the fire, right? When we build out of God's stuff, that's precious metals and it's going to last the fire. So if we look at the authority of who is in charge of things, if that's God, then our service reflects him and his strengths and his wisdom. And that's a whole lot better. That's going to last. It's going to be good stuff and it's going to be enduring and meaningful and change people's lives. Okay, many of us, do good works right many people in the world do good works we look around we see a lot of stuff going on that's bad there's a lot of really nice folks out there doing a lot of really good things for people okay that's not not a bad thing it's a good thing right but serving god is different right um and you know you might hear it you might hear it be called ministry that's kind of a churchy word for it but it's basically serving god Um, when that's done with all of these ideas in mind that's not going to promote a person or a personality. And that's what Paul's referring to here. We saw it over the last couple of weeks in the different uh, chapters that Sean preached through. The church was divided. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter. You know, All these different people following different folks. And serving God doesn't do that. Serving God serves God. When the people get in the middle of that, and I don't know that Paul, Apollos, or Peter we're happier with that. No, Paul wasn't. He was condemning it, right? I don't know that Apollos or Peter or any of the guys that they wanted to name they were following were excited about this. It was the people doing that, but they were following that guy. They were following a person or a personality, and that's not the way serving God works. You follow God, right? When we do this the right way, we promote Jesus. We promote God. We promote his works, not our own, and that really has to flow from that idea of who owns us, what are we obliged to do and you know that that's all him if we put ourselves in the middle of that there you go down that wrong path and, and that stuff's going to pop up the people are going to pop up the personalities are going to become the issue not not Jesus and that's not what God wants he's making it clear he's repeating it over and over in these first four verses or first four chapters of this book that that's not a healthy thing okay and i'm going to paraphrase paul a little bit here to talk about what uh, try to put it in more contemporary simplistic language. Paul's trying to tell him, listen, guys, I'm trying to help you out, right? You shouldn't be thinking so much of these guys than you do of God. You shouldn't be putting more into what they're saying than into what God's word says, right? And, and even, not even what it says, but what it will allow. He says, so that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, right? That's a very, very helpful verse when you're in the middle of conflict or concerned about how church stuff goes, go to what's written, follow that. When you start to bring your own ideas into things or other men's ideas, we have the benefit of a couple thousand years of history now for this to have been passed. And there's a lot of people that have written a lot of things about the Bible. There's a lot of commentaries. There's a lot of very historical figures that have awesome things to say about the Bible, but they're not the Bible. And we need to make sure that we don't put too much stock in those things. Don't go beyond what is written. Use them to help you, absolutely, I do too. Right? That, that's very f- fair to do that, but make sure that the, the Word is the source of those ideas. And it, so, hey, let me help you out. Don't go beyond what God's Word says. And don't ever think more of one of God's servants than any other. Right? That's what he says here. Uh, none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Totally out of bounds. Never allowed. Right? You know, like I said, Paul's, he's spoken to this, I, I, I thought I wrote it down, but it, it's several times over the previous chapters. He keeps talking about, don't do that, don't do that. So God's repeating himself. I know as a parent, that drives me crazy to repeat myself, right, it, the, you know, when, especially the little ones, older kids, that's a different story. That's a different kind of, why am I repeating myself? But for little kids, they just don't understand it. And they need to hear it over and over again. Paul referenced that these people needed milk. They didn't get it. He's repeating himself over and over again. So that means it's important. If we're hearing this repeatedly, Paul's repeating that correction because it needs to be fixed. So if we don't have that in our lives, okay. But if that's something you have in your life, you need to hear that correction, right? That, that we're not favoring one over another, that we're, we're all God's servants and that kind of thing. So um, the, the next step from that, if you look at that, not favoring one over another, I I think what we really have to to apply it to, for all of us in this sense, is this is um, something that we run into, not all the time, but you you do see it happening that, I I mean, Sean referenced it last week. He said, this is not our church, this is God's church, right? It's not his, it's not mine, it's not any of you, it's God's church, we're all part of it, that's the idea. And what happens is we start to take um, the wrong kind of ownership. Remember, we're stewards, we're not owners. Um, A a reference actually this morning came to me. I didn't write it down, but I want to share it. For those of you that are familiar with uh, the the storyline of Lord of the Rings, there was a a family that was, they were the kings of a certain uh, kingdom, and their line disappeared. They had to run away because they were getting attacked, and they just kind of disappeared. But there were stewards left in their place, kind of like a regent, someone to rule the place until the king came back. And the the kingly line, the, the people just disappeared for hundreds of years, and the stewards mentally took over as kings. And when the king returned, they wouldn't give it up. Those of you who know that story know what I'm talking about. And it was an awful conflict. And we have a very big danger of running into that kind of thinking when we start thinking about this is our church and our ministry. And, and what happens, I, I, you know, and it happened to these people, obviously, that I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, and this is the way we're gonna do stuff, is um, you, you put the steward ahead of the king. And that's not the way that works. That is absolutely not the way that works. So I just, I think it's a, an easy thing for us to take the next step to here is that when, when things are happening in any church, and I, I don't feel that here necessarily, it's not something I'm you know, pointing fingers at, but it's, it's a warning to us, so I want us to be aware. And we're growing and things are gonna happen and we need to, to make sure that we're, we're looking at this. Um, it's very easy for us it's actually very natural for us and that's the problem is that it's natural it's not from God to as things grow and develop the leaders of those things become kind of the people we follow and we want to be careful not to do that even more important and and this is the part that is very natural and very I think insidiously wrong is it's easy for the person guiding the ministry to get that feeling too and we want to make sure that that never happens, right? The the person guiding you, you see Paul. Whoop. Oh, hello, hi Jeremy. Hello. Jeremy's right there. Um, you see Paul saying, "Hey, it's not me, right? Follow God." And he's saying, "For Apollos, I think don't you know you don't do that." These guys were saying that, "Don't follow me." We saw um, the when um, Peter and John were healing people, people wanted to worship. No, oh, I do this in Jesus' name, right? All those things that people were trying to give credit. Paul did it too, um, you know that that uh, people wanted to, to worship him in, in one of those Greek cities, I've which, forgotten which one, but you know, no, it's God. Um, so what happens to us, potentially, is that we forget the idea of stewardship and we become owners. Now, don't get me wrong, we like ownership of, of things that people take charge of it and manage it well, but stewards are not owners. Stewards are managers. The owner is Jesus. And that's a really easy place for division to happen in a church. The, the concept of this whole series is undivided to keep the church together and not split up. This is a place where it's very quick to happen when uh, people, um, you know, they, they grab a ministry and go with it and all of a sudden it's their thing and it's not, it's God's thing, right? So I think that's a warning Paul's laying out here for us not to do that. See, the, the concept of a steward is you're watching out for the king's stuff, doing the best that you can with them. There's a couple of parables about that actually and, and that Jesus tells the, the talents and managing the vineyard and stuff like that. And really what we need to take from those in this context is that stewards manage, owners own, and the owners take care of the stewards. They, they, they're the ones that reward and, and take care of them. Um, so from that, right, what, what goes on here at River? It's bigger than any of us, right? None of us own this place. None of us are uh, Jesus, right? But as we go forward, it's all for him, and, and it's not our own. Our purpose should be to promote Jesus Christ and let God receive the glory. And our reward in that will be to hear those wonderful words, some of my favorite words in the Bible from our master, our father. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what the steward gets to hear. And that's some good stuff, ladies and gentlemen. That is top notch to be able to hear that from our Lord and our master, that you've served well and you get to enter your rest with him, right? So that, that's, I think, Paul's idea here is to get you to that place where you can serve, give it all to him through his ownership, through his authority, you're obliged to just follow him. His wisdom's better than yours and look at the opportunities that gives us to serve him and to serve him, not ourselves. We're serving each other, that's okay, right? But it's all about Jesus in that. And the last piece of this that Paul finishes with is the opposition you're gonna run into. And this may surprise you, the tact that Paul takes. I'm going to read a few verses here. I need kind of the whole thing to get the point across. So Paul said previously, you know, why are you bragging about what you you have here? You didn't, you got it. You didn't, you know, you you were given it. So he says in verse 8, already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat we have become and are still like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children." So what Paul's saying here, it looks at first glance to me that especially as you get towards the end, he's talking about all the stuff that happened to him. You know, you you can read Acts and see that whole list and other places in Corinthians, he lists out specifically all the beatings he took and the shipwrecks and all that other stuff. Um, Paul had a a tough life, right? Probably 95% of it was because he was following Jesus, um, if not 100. I'm just leaving some room for, I don't know. Uh, so it looks like it's the opposition of the world doing all this stuff to him. I don't think that's what he's saying, especially when you kind of follow the tone here. If I don't know if you caught it, but he's being kind of sarcastic with these guys. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you're kings, right? He's, he's really pointing out to them not so much his trials, but the way the Corinthians have treated the apostles who have gone through those trials. And that's his point here. He's he's looking at, and if you read earlier in Corinthians and also in 2 Corinthians, just the the Corinthian church was very rude to Paul. They they, um, talked badly about him. They made fun of him, mostly when he wasn't there and uh, disregarded his teachings for the favor of other people. Um, So, I think what he's trying to do is saying, listen, uh, where was it here? The, God has exhibited us apostles, us apostles, all of them, as last of all. He's saying, yeah, we got the rough end of the stick here, okay, and look at how you're treating yourself and how you're treating us. Look at the progression here. This is, it was interesting when I was reading up on this. I thought this was worthy of sharing. In verse eight, it goes from, you already have what you want, to you have become rich, to now you are kings, right? Having what we want would be good. That's kind of a goal in life for most people. Oh, you think you're rich too. You have more than you need. And you know what? You guys have gone all all the way to a place where you think you're kings. You don't even think you're stewards anymore. You think you got it all figured out and you're in charge. And all of this without us, it says, right? So Paul's calling out the Corinthians for their arrogant behavior, right? He's seen them personally do it to him. And apparently by the phrasing here to other of God's leaders as well, that they think they got it all figured out with any guidance without any guidance from the apostles right in fact it might even be in spite of the guidance the apostles were given them that they were kind of doing their own thing you certainly see the the calling out of their wisdom in other chapters that they think they got it all figured out even some here too right now actually sean brought this up last week too he talked about uh the extreme issues that you see later on in uh, in Corinthians, the stuff about the spirit, spiritual gifts and all that. And that people look at first Corinthians, and that's what they think of as all the, the craziness from the spiritual gifts. And, and Sean mentioned, I agree with him. The heart of the matter is here in the beginning. These guys knew, thought they knew what they were doing and disregarded the word of God. That's really what happened. And that's why all those other things came along the way too. Um, so they thought they had it all figured out. They didn't need the teaching of, of the apostles. They could just do what they thought was right. And you know, a modern evangelical Christian might hear that statement and say, hold on now, right? We can read the Bible for ourselves. We don't need the apostles to tell us. We don't need a priest. We can, the, the, the New Testament clearly teaches that all believers are priests and can interact with God directly, right? And, you know, we, we can read the Bible, understand it with the Holy Spirit. We don't need a priest to tell us what it means. And I'd be one of the first to agree with that statement, okay? And if you don't think about the historical context you can lead yourself down the wrong path here because Paul's talking to these guys, right? The Corinthians did not have the Bible as we have it today. In fact, this letter is the Bible that we have today. These things that Paul was telling them is what they should have been listening to. It's what we would be listening to today, right? So that's, that's a very big distinction. Paul was saying, hey, you need to listen to God's word. God's word is what's gonna direct you, not your own wisdom, because guys, look at yourselves. Look at the mess you're in. You're, you're, you're acting crazy. People are calling you out for your, your poor morals, your bad decisions, all this other stuff. You know, we're going to see as we get, it starts around in verse, I think next chapter even starts with the wackiness starting to come out, right? We're going to see some of these things they were doing and what are you thinking, right? So Paul's saying, what are you thinking? You're not hearing from the, the Lord. You're doing your own thing. And that's just a bad idea, right? Just doing your own thing's a bad idea. So this is a plea from Paul to bow to God's wisdom. I think that's what this whole chapter is about. Hey, listen, you don't own yourself, you're God's. You're obliged to follow him in everything. Your own wisdom doesn't even know what's going on. You think you got yourself sorted out. You're doing things that are wacky, they're wrong. Listen to God's word, right? And in the middle of that, you gotta put Jesus back in here, fellas, right? This is, you've lost your way. You're doing things on your own. Where's Jesus Christ in all this? At the end of this book, he talks about the things of first importance. Jesus died, rose from the dead three days later, right? That, that's what it's all about. And that's not even a topic of these people's conversation, apparently. They're doing other stuff. And, and that's, that's the deal, right? When, when we, in our pride, and that, that's the opposition I was referring to, is our pride. When we, in our own pride, think we know what's going on, it opposes all things of God. Our pride is gonna be the biggest opposition we ever run into, I believe. There's certainly spiritual forces that cause us trouble, no doubt about it. But man, we are our own worst enemy, right? There's a, a phrase, we have met the enemy and they are ours. It's been misinterpreted over the years. That, that was actually said when they won the battle, the, the enemy is ours. And a comic strip rearranged it to say, uh, we have met the enemy and they are us. Maybe the comic strip, had, comic strip had it more right. We're our own worst enemy. We get in our way way more often than we should. And that, that's what I think this is encouraged. that's what I would encourage you into too, is to understand that you are the problem, not God, not the rest of the world, you, because you're not walking with God, you're not following him. And that takes, you know, this is a long journey for all of us. And that not following God, I don't know where you are in that step, right? Some of you are not following God because you've, you've, you're at the place where you don't even know, maybe you know, he doesn't even exist for you, I don't know, right? There's a lot of people that don't know who God is or where he's at. So that might be the place you've got to address. Some of you might know he's there, but you don't want to submit to him, right? That, that's the place where you're opposing God with your pride and, and that kind of stuff. So, and then once you understand who he is, you give your life to him, you surrender, man, every day, every day is a walk of, hey, am I gonna resist God or am I gonna follow him? And as we go along, you get more mature at it. You, the little things don't get you, but the big things do or vice versa. And we all have to, every day, ask yourself that. Jesus said, you have to deny yourself, you have to pick up your cross daily and deny yourself, right? Never gonna go away. Our pride is always gonna wanna fight that. So as we go along here, whether you don't know God and want to, whether you're unsure of where he's at, how to relate to him, or whether you're walking with him but having struggles, following every day, whatever, I don't know where you're at, but this speaks to that. It speaks to it in all those places. If you understand who owns you, you could be Christian for 40 years, and just have a bad day and not want to follow, this speaks to that. Who's in charge? Jesus is, right? Okay, since he's in charge, since he owns me, what do I do with that? i got to follow him. Yep. i got to be faithful to his word. i got to be a faithful steward to what he said. What's he telling me? Not to do that thing I want to do or get up and do that thing I don't want to do. And why am I resistant? Because my stupid pride or my laziness or whatever it is, right? That is the story anywhere along the Christian walk. OK, so I think this can really be used for any of us to take that next step from where we are. And that's our goal here at River, right, is to see life change. We want to see everybody able to take the next step from where they're at to get closer to Jesus and to follow him the best you can. So as our music team comes up now, I'm going to pray for us and just ask that God would help you to do that. This next song is intended as a time for response. OK, it's a time for you to to deal with these things we God. got. that may be you want to stand up and sing. That maybe you want to kneel and pray, or anywhere in between. Maybe a bit of both, I don't know, right? Whatever, whatever works for you. But respond to them. Get yourself in a place where this will help you live with God better. Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we, we thank you that you did reveal these mysteries to us, that we're not in the dark. We don't have to wonder. Father, we just ask that all of us, every day, even starting right now, would... Uh, Help us, Lord, please help us to um, follow you, to admit your ownership, to surrender to you, and to take that next step that you have for us. Lord, we know you'll show us. We trust you that if we lean on you, you'll show us our path. So help us to do that. Help our pride to go away. Lord, we must decrease. You must increase. And as we do that, we know you will bring us joy and peace, and we can follow you knowing that you'll take care of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.